All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I'm giving you my takeaways from day two of the Falcons versus Dolphins joint practices down in South Florida. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode, I'll be giving you my thoughts from the buzz generated from Thursday's joint practices between the Miami Dolphins and Atlanta Falcons down in Miami. You know, it was the second day of these joint practices. We know the Falcons and Dolphins will be squaring off on Saturday in their uh, second preseason action. But before we get into today's conversation, talking about whether or not Calvin Ridley is the number one wide receiver that Matt Ryan needs, whether or not Steven means shining over the last 48 hours makes revisiting uh, the topic of the Falcons pass rush being promising worthwhile And also talking about the possible struggles that the Falcons may have covering tight ends this year and whether or not it's going to linger into the regular season. But before we get into all that, I want to let you guys know about one of the national shows here on the Lockdown Podcast Network that covers all 32 NFL teams, including the Falcons. That's, of course, the Peacock and Williamson podcast where NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you insight and analysis on every team, every game, every move, check them out by subscribing to the Peacock and Williamson podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So I was hoping I was holding out for getting an update over whether or not uh, we would see the Falcon starters on Saturdays, given that Arthur Smith earlier in the week said that they would give us an update on Thursday night. And I'm sitting here at 10 PM Eastern time recording as late as I possibly can uh, waiting for that update and have yet to get it. So I guess we'll just probably have to find out, you know, today, as most of you are listening on Friday, whether or not that's going to be the case. The scoops I got from my dolphin source said today was our day. So it, it seems like that insider and as well as pretty much everybody else seemed to believe that it was a rebound performance from the dolphins on Thursday after the, uh, quote unquote killing that they took on Wednesday at the hands of the Falcons in that joint practice yesterday. Calvin Ridley went viral with a one-on-one route that he had against Byron Jones that everybody and their mother was commenting on going from either um, how incredible his elite route running was to all the way to the fact that it wasn't realistic that he could ever run that route uh, in a game because of how long it took for him to do that. And quarterbacks just don't have that type of time. Um, and, uh, we'll just focus on the, the route running aspect of it because I think that's the part that's worthwhile because we've seen Calvin Ridley run that route a number of times, uh, since he first came to Atlanta in 2018. And, you know, what's interesting, even though he did that against Jones, it sounded like Xavier Howard, you know, wasn't having it for parts of today. And it was much more of a even draw back and forth between those two guys after, Many accounts seem to suggest that Ridley got the better part of Howard on Wednesday. 
And so you have one of the emerging young receivers in Ridley going up against one of the top corners in the league in Howard. Uh, and it seemed like that was a little closer to a draw, at least based off of the reports coming out of Thursday. And, and Xavier Howard did, I believe, reportedly snag an interception, one of three interceptions that Matt Ryan through in practice today, which I think was leading to some of the, um, you know, belief that the Dolphins had a nice rebound performance. I guess Xavier Howard is probably a little upset that, uh, you know, everybody was hyping up Ridley yesterday. So he, he came to play uh, a bit today. Um, but in terms of Ridley, I think, you know, it does give us an opportunity and excuse to talk a little bit about his potential to become one of the premier route runners in the NFL. And if you've listened to this podcast over the last year, you know, that notion is not news to you. That's not a, a new take by any means. We've talked about how Ridley is one of the emerging route runners that, you know, if he's not on their tier, he's, you know, potentially rising to their tier. He's just maybe a notch below guys like Devonte Adams and Stefan Diggs. When most people ask who's the best route runner in the NFL, those two names often come up, you know, except for the weirdos that somehow want to put Michael Thomas in that group. But, you know, I don't get that, but I think Ridley is certainly, you know, right behind those guys, if not neck and neck with those guys. And, you know, that contributes to a lot being made over the last several months uh, since, you know, who got traded um, that, you know, whether Whitley can um, assume, you know, number one wide receiver duties, um, and, you know, if you listen to Locked on Falcons, that's never really been a question. We know, already know that Ridley is a number one wide receiver. You mean, the, to me, the question is, you know, whether people are going to have these expectations that Ridley is going to be the type of number one wide receiver that Julio Jones was. And, you know, I don't think he will be. You know, Jones spent the past seven years being considered arguably the best wide receiver in the game. And while I think Ridley is a very good wide receiver, in my opinion, he's, he's in the top 10 to 15 wide receivers currently in the league. And I think certainly is capable of having a type of season where he can move up those rankings and be a consensus top seven, top to 10 type of wide receiver. But I don't think he's going to be Julio Jones. He's going to be different than Julio Jones. And, you know, I watched a film review a couple of weeks ago that was talking about, you know, Julio and how much he had left in the tank after he got traded. And that person mentioned in that review that 50-50 balls when thrown to Julio are really 80-20 balls. And that's never really been the case with Calvin Ridley. 50-50 balls tend to be, seem, or at least seemingly tend to be more 20-80 balls with him. Um, and that is not meant to knock Calvin Ridley. It's just we're talking about his strengths and weaknesses, and, and that's not one of his strengths. And that's partially one of the reasons why I'm not in love with Ridley as a deep threat. You know, he's certainly capable of making plays downfield. He's made plenty over the years, but one does wonder how much of that is owed to having a player like Julio Jones pulling coverage away from him and getting those one-on-ones where there's not a, a ton of safety help. You know, he, he still gets safety help uh, or at least the corners still get safety help at times, but not to the degree that, you know, it is when Julio Jones is on the field and you, you wonder now that that safety help is going to go to his side a lot more. Is he going to be as effective, you know, running those vertical routes down the field and being that vertical threat. Now, obviously if you go back to last year in the seven or so games that Julio Jones was out of the lineup, you still saw him making plays down the field. So it's not this idea that like suddenly that's going to evaporate all of a sudden, or it's purely a byproduct of Julio Jones's presence on the team that Calvin really gets open. But my concern is really when we get back to that notion of 50, 50 balls, do the Falcons really have a receiver that can sort of win consistently uh, in that capacity? And we talked about earlier this week about Matt Ryan's comfort versus dif- discomfort and how that 
is influenced not only by the supporting cast and the play calling and all these various things, but you know, that obviously has ramifications. The more comfortable Matt Ryan is, the better the offense historically has been. The more uncomfortable he is, the more erratic the offense has tended to be. And one of the aspects that we know about Matt Ryan in terms of his comfort is over the past 13 seasons, he's almost always had wide receivers like Julio Jones and Roddy white and tight ends like Tony Gonzalez. And to a lesser extent, Austin Hooper, I wouldn't quite, put Hooper in that category and that tier with those guys, but guys that can consistently win those contested catch situations. And when you're looking at at least the current Falcons wide receivers, whether we're talking about Ridley or Russell Gage or Alameda Zacchaeus, you're not looking at a bunch of guys that you think are going to, you know, constantly uh, win in those situations that that's going to be their strengths uh, to sort of, you know, win in those tight window situations. And so then it becomes a really about the tight ends, which goes back to an earlier point we made this summer that, you know, the tight ends could be instrumental to this Falcons offense uh, hitting its ceiling in terms of those guys having a big impact. But then you look at a player like Hayden Hurst, who was pretty inconsistent in those contested catch situations throughout most of last year. Things improved in the last uh, month of the season, but you do wonder, is that going to be something that you can consistently rely on week in and week out? And I'm sure many of you are already yelling at your phone, but what about Pitts? And, for me, at least, I do wonder to a certain extent how good Kyle Pitts is going to be in that regard, at least early in the season. Because if you go back and you listen to the scouting report episode that we did on Kyle Pitts back in May, I noted in that episode that, you know, Pitts wasn't probably as good as you would assume he was in those contested catcher situations when you had a defender draped over him, you know, where he really dominated was extending away from his body and making grabs using his exceptional and elite body control away from his body using that huge wingspan. And let me be clear about this, you know, at least based off of my viewing of Kyle Pitts's college film, you know, if you have a defender on Kyle Pitts's hip, right? If you throw the ball two feet above him, He's going to catch it, right? I feel very confident that he's going to catch it. But if you put it like right on him, he didn't consistently always catch those at Florida where a defender was right there where he could sort of really contest that catch. And then you couple that with the fact that, you know, Matt Ryan and Kyle Pitts are still in the early stages of building that long-term rapport that we all expect them to have. Um, And we know despite how talented Kyle Pitts is historically speaking, Matt Ryan has never really developed that overnight with anybody. I mean, I guess technically he did it with Roddy white, but there was really no choice there because that was Matt Ryan coming immediately into the league, but with Tony Gonzalez and, and Julio Jones and, you know, last year with Hayden Hurst, like, you know, for all those guys, it really took the better part of a, a at least one season, if not more than one season before you really saw those guys get on, on the same page. And so I wonder, about that. If, if Matt Ryan doesn't have that sort of safety blanket that he knows if I throw this ball to this guy in a tight window in a contested catch situation, like he had with Julio, like he had with Roddy, like he had it with Tony Gonzalez, if he doesn't have that, is he going to be as comfortable as he has been in the past? And so, you know, that's one of the questions I have about this upcoming season. And, you know, for me, of course, because it's all about building that rapport, my personal opinion, my personal biased opinion is that, you know, you can help fast track that a little bit by maybe giving these guys some action in the preseason, but I'm not going to go on that rant today and beat that dead horse. But really circling back to Ridley, you know, I certainly think he's definitely a number one wide receiver, but I do wonder if he's going to be a quote unquote different type of number one than what Matt Ryan has had traditionally around his career. And what are the ramifications of that? What are the pros of that? What are the cons of that? You know, what are the consequences of all that? And so to, 
to reiterate, it, it's not really on Calvin Ridley to be anything other than the best version of Calvin Ridley. He doesn't have to be Julio Jones or Roddy White. But these are the sort of the things that now when we're in a mode and a phase of, of presumably Falcons football moving forward under this new regime where we're quote unquote all in on Matt Ryan, you got to put the right pieces around him. And we know Ridley's good. We're very optimistic and, and confident that Pitts will be good. But you do have questions about the rest of the supporting cast, whether or not they're going to be the right pieces around Matt Ryan, not only for this year, but certainly in the long term. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on, and we'll be paying attention to that as the season uh, rolls on. But speaking of questions about various personnel, let's talk about one of the emerging players on the defense in Stephen Means and what that means for the Falcons pass rush. But before we get there, guys, you might have missed Wednesday night's live show on the, the Locked On NFL YouTube show, which was the Locked On Fantasy Live show, where you could submit your questions uh, to help you win your fantasy league. But if you missed it, you can still catch a daily podcast devoted to fantasy football here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Of course, that's the Locked On Fantasy Football Show hosted by Vinny Iyer. Check it out on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market, has several delicious flavors. Whether you're a fan of coconut almond like me or you prefer mint brownie cookies and cream, cherry barcia, double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel, coconut or raspberry. There's something for everyone. You can even get the summertime flavors of orange and strawberry and you can try them all with a mix box. And you'll want to in order to get that healthy snack that tastes just like a candy bar, but has none of the guilt. Built Bars contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. My personal favorite, the coconut almond, tastes just like an almond joy. But it's not just about Built Bars' great taste. They're healthy, too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. Again, you're getting that candy bar taste with none of the guilt. And you can do so by heading over to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So continuing our conversation about uh, Thursday's practice, you know, we go back to Wednesday's practice. Stephen Means was one of those guys that we discussed on yesterday's episode that created some buzz, briefly touched on getting some pressures, getting some sacks against a porous Dolphins offensive line. And it does seem like that continued on Thursday with these joint practices. And I point this out because we have spent quite a bit of time this summer talking about our question marks and concerns about this Falcons pass rush. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, it's kind of been put on the back burner uh, given the reports coming out this week about the Falcons pass rush being very effective and, and what we saw on Friday against the Titans last week in the preseason action where uh, defensive coordinator Dean Pete was very effective at dialing up a lot of pressure in that game. But it still remains a lingering question for me. And a lot of that has to do with means, you know, going into camp when we were talking about this edge rusher group um, back in July, you know, I discussed how in the past that Dean pieces defenses when they were at their best, you know, in addition to having playmakers like Terrell Suggs and Harold Landry on the outside as those edge rushers, they had one of those situational guys like an Elvis Dumerville in Baltimore, Cameron Wake in Tennessee, that basically came in to be designated pass rushers on, on passing downs. And I likened it similar to the role that Dwight Freeney had back in 2016 with the Falcons uh, tag teaming with guys like Adrian Claiborne and Vic Beasley on the edge. And we discussed that if anybody currently on the Falcons roster is likely to fill those shoes, it would presumably be Stephen Means. So it definitely is a promising sign that Stephen Means seems at least so far to be having a, a fairly good camp. But of course, I always remain skeptical on, on all things. 
And it goes back to something I talked about on yesterday's episode, which is I kind of want to see how these guys perform against a, a top notch offensive line like Cleveland's in that upcoming preseason game, rather than basing too much of my opinion off of uh, how they perform against a Dolphins offensive line that we know, at least that we believe is not one of the better offensive lines and is in fact one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, again, depending on who you talk to. Um, and so, you know, if I want to generate some confidence about this pass rush, I need to see it perform a little bit against some better competition. And, you know, when we talk about means specifically, the reason why means is sort of that, that top option to be their designated pass rush is he's coming on. He's the, probably the most proven pass rusher and he's coming off a career high season in terms of his pass rush production, where he had three sacks and 24 pressures, according to pro football focus last year. And to be fair to Steven means, Prior to that, he didn't play a ton, so he didn't really get an opportunity to rack up a, a ton of production in previous years until he joined the Falcons in 2018. He played a combined 170 snaps across five seasons, playing with the Bucks and Eagles. And then in 2018, when Derek Shelby went down for the Falcons, he played 162 snaps for the Falcons and was a solid rotational piece for them that year. Then, of course, in 2019, he tore his Achilles and came back this past year and played over 600 defensive snaps. Now, about 60% of those snaps last year did feature him rushing the quarterback, and that's where his production came from. But you do wonder if he can build off of that year, especially now that he's entering his age 31 season. And so if you're the Falcons, you sit here and wonder if you're sort of being pushed this false sense of hope by how well Means is playing currently. And you compare him to a player like Doomerville, who was very productive across four seasons playing under Pease in Baltimore from 2013 to 2016, played about 2,200 snaps, 64% of them involved rushing the quarterback, so comparable to what Means uh, played this past year. Doomerville averaged about 40 snaps per game across those four years, with roughly 25 of them per week uh, being pass rush snaps. He generated about... He generated over 200 pressures in that span, which is nearly four per game or one every 14.6 pass rush snaps, which is a very high rate of pressure. And if you're one of those people that doesn't care about pressures and you just want to know about the sacks, 35 and a half sacks. Um, and that's a pressure conversion rate of about 17%, uh, which is above average uh, based off of the 15% rate that pro football focus tells us is about the league average. And so then you look at means, well, Snap load, at least looking at last year, about 40 snaps per game, 24 pass rushing snaps, generating 24 pressures or one and a half per game. And, you know, looking at his three sacks, that's a pressure rate of 6.2% and a pressure to sack conversion rate of about 12.5%. And so even if you just want to throw out the pressures and just look at sacks, you know, under Doomerville, Pease had a pass rusher and edge rusher that was basically 11 times more productive in generating sacks on a per snap basis than Stephen Means was this past year. And of course, that's not also factoring in what Pease had when with players like Terrell Suggs comparing him to, say, a player like Dante Fowler. And so that's why, you know, today I'm kind of pushing back against this notion um, that the Falcons pass rush is going to be good and, and why you've heard me over the last several weeks and or months being highly skeptical over this narrative that Dean Pease is going to fix it, is going to be able to scheme all this pressure and you know when you look back at his record the last time you know Dean Pease coached a top shelf pass rush was way back in 2014 with the Ravens when they had 49 sacks that year and 29 of those came uh, from a, a combined effort of, of T. Sizzle, uh, Terrell Suggs and, and Elvis Doomerville and so even if you look at a season like 
2019 with Tennessee, where they had 43 sacks, which was an above average rate. You know, that was the 13th highest total that season. But when you factor in attempts because of Tennessee's high flying offense, particularly in the second half of that season, opposing teams threw the ball quite a bit playing from behind against that Titans team. And, you know, it was the six most uh, pass attempts against a defense that year. So when you actually adjust for attempt in terms of those sacks, they were perfectly like league average in terms of generating sacks via their pass rush. And that's why you hear me say things like, I don't believe Dean P's being magic, so to speak, um, or thinking that he can wave a magic wand. And essentially what we're talking about is making Steven means 10 times more effective as a pass rusher. And I do wonder if, you know, last week and, and this week, you know, last week's preseason game and, and this week's practices might be lulling us into a false sense of confidence. And that's why I think that Browns game upcoming Browns games is very important. And, you know, it's not to sit here and say, oh, they got to get like, you know, four sacks in the first half against Baker Mayfield. But I do want to see how guys like Means and Jacob Tuity Mariner and Adeo Gundeji and John Kaminsky and Marlon Davidson, all these sort of unproven pass rushers we have, how do they fare up against a quality offensive line? Can they beat the Wyatt Tellers and the Jack Conklins and the uh, Jedrick Millses of the world, uh, you know, and give us a, a little bit more confidence that going up against some of these good offensive lines that they're going to face, that they can really get after the quarterback. And we, we know what Grady Jarrett is. We know what Dante Fowler is at this point, but we don't really know what those other pieces are. And, you know, this goes back to the same exact issue I had a year ago when it came to, you know, the, the narrative about the defensive corner fixing. It. And in that case, it was obviously Raheem Morris. And as I said, then, you know, Raheem Morris might be the best defensive coordinator that the Falcons have ever had, but you can't constantly ask coaches to make eliminated limits. You got to get those guys horses. And to me, it's never been all this pushback that you've heard me say on this podcast and elsewhere about Dean Pease. It's never because I'm, I doubt Dean Pease as a coach that I think he's overrated or anything like that. But I just get tired of hearing the same recycled narratives over and over again. And the exact same thing I said about Raheem Morris, I will say about Dean Pease. You got to get these guys playmakers that you can't just rely on coaches as Falcon fans have been trying to convince the world dating back to 2018. It seems starting with Marquand manual and how that defense was going to be a top 10 unit that they keep convincing us that all we are is just a defensive scheme and, and coordinator change from being a good defense. And I feel like why are we continuing to convince ourselves? And by convince, I mean, lie to ourselves that, you know, every new coach is going to magically fix it. And to quote the fashion icon, Jacobim Mugatu, you know, blue steel, Ferrari, La Tigra, they're the same face. Doesn't anybody notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Um, sorry for the bad impression, but like, it's just one of those things where I feel you know, I hope I'm wrong about this, but after yesterday, like my feet, you know, are no longer in the clouds. They're back on the ground. And I'm really sitting here thinking like, oh yeah, we're relying on Steven means to be an impact player. And again, I'm a big fan of, of Steven means, right. You know, I, I know I'm always the guy, you know, bursting everybody's bubble or peeing in the punch bowl, so to speak. But like, I'm a Steven means guy. And like, I was advocating for him to come to Atlanta like four years ago, back when the Falcons needed some pass rush help. Um, and you know, that was back during a time where the vast majority of Falcon fans were still big believers, still convinced that Vic Beasley was going to be good. You, you guys remember going back to 2018 and whatnot, where you guys convinced yourselves that Vic Beasley was going to have a bounce back year because he just needed to get more opportunities to rush the quarterback and 
instead of dropping in the coverage three times per game. And that was completely ruining him as a pass rusher. You remember that? So this is why guys, I tend to be a little skeptical of the various narratives that I hear about Falcons pass rushers and the Falcons pass rush. Cause I'm like, Oh, these are the same people that said that. And they're now trying to convince the world that the Falcons pass rush is going to be good. You know, color me a little skeptical. Sure. Right. So th- that's what I wanted to say there. You know, again, sorry for, you know, bursting the bubble, but it's just like, wait a second. What are we doing here? We, we spent all summer talking about, we need to sign Melvin Ingram. We need to sign Justin Houston. And it's like, yeah, we didn't do any of those things. Like what, what changed? Like, you know, a, a couple of good practices, a couple of uh, good quarters against a backup offensive line. Like what, are, what are we really doing here? Uh, so that's what I wanted to say about that. And, you know, hopefully I, I really do hope that the pass rush comes to play this weekend. So we can at least build a little bit of momentum uh, before it all comes crashing down. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, no, I'm just saying like, I, I really do hope we, we, we see some, some, uh, improvement from this rush. And so maybe, you know, we don't have to be as negative. We don't need a Melvin Ingram. We don't need a, a Justin Houston, but now I'm sitting here going like, yeah, let's, let's not delude ourselves a little bit, but uh, we'll finish up today talking about another element of the defense, looking more on the back end in terms of whether or not we can trust that these guys can cover tight ends uh, coming up this upcoming season. But coming up this upcoming season in the college football landscape, of course, you guys want to be plugged into your daily college football teams podcast, or maybe you're not a fan of a specific team and you're looking more for entire conference coverage because you're out in Pac-12 country, you're in Big Ten country, or of course you're in SEC country. And of course, you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite team or conference here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Georgia Bulldog fans, Locked On Bulldogs, Alabama fans, Locked On Bama, Ohio State fans, Locked On Buckeyes, etc. Check them all out on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So it's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including the half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at BetOnline.ag and you will receive a 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo, meaning if you make a bet on Thursday, September 9th, during the season opener between the Bucks and Cowboys, Even if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25. BetOnline, of course, is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, whether we're talking football, basketball, boxing, right on the way to horse racing. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So the last tidbit we'll talk about today is Mike Rothstein of ESPN pointing out the team struggles covering the various Dolphins tight ends in his Thursday post-practice notes. And we briefly touched upon that on yesterday's episode because that also seemed to be a takeaway. And so that's one of the things I'm wondering about. You know, we talked last month in our training camp previews about the possibility of losing that sort of dedicated tight end eraser with the departure of Keanu Neal. Um, at the safety position. And when you look at the current safeties, there's not really a guy that you look at and say, Oh, that's going to be the guy. 
And this led to us sort of saying like, oh, maybe that's a way where Isaiah Oliver can make his presence felt. So you look at guys like Deron Harmon and, and Eric Harris, Richie Grant, Jalen Hawkins. They're not known for their lockdown man coverage abilities. You would probably look at Grant as probably the most competent cover guy of that group based off of what he did in college. But he's a smaller guy. You know, he's barely 5'11", 195 pounds. You know, he's going up against tight ends that are going to be five, six inches taller than him, 50 pounds heavier than him. And so that may not be the ideal matchup for him. And one of the other things we talked about when previewing the linebacker position heading into camp, we talked about how Foye Olakun thinks in large part to Keanu Neal's early season struggles covering tight ends, uh, recovering from that Achilles tear last year. Olakun seemed to take over more of the tight end coverage responsibilities as the year progressed. And his play was a little up and down, but you know, now if Olakun is moving to the Mike linebacker position, do those tight end coverage abilities fall on Deion Jones, who's now expected to be the weak side will linebacker. And, you know, essentially when you look at defenses, traditionally the middle linebacker, it's often asked to spy quarterbacks and cover running backs out of the backfield. While the outside linebacker, the will linebacker in this case, he tends to get a lot more of those assignments covering the tight ends. Like we saw last year where Jones was covering running backs and Olakun was asked to cover a lot more tight ends. And so we talked about in that linebacker episode how, you know, both Ola Kuhn and Jones showed the ability to be high-level coverage guys. And when it came to running backs, you know, Deion Jones has consistently, at least when his when he's been playing well, uh, been an elite coverage guy when it comes to matching up, run, matching up with running backs out of the backfield. Um, but historically speaking, has not been overly effective covering other positions, whether that's slot receivers, whether that's tight ends or the case. And so I wonder if some of these struggles are related to that of Deion Jones being asked to, to do those things as opposed to Foye Olakun or Keanu Neal in previous years. And so part of me wonders about that. And part of me wonders whether or not this is going to be something that we continue to see not only this summer when we're facing teams like Miami uh, who do have capable tight ends, Cleveland who we know have capable tight ends uh, in this preseason. And then that carries over into the regular season as that first month of the season, you're probably going to face a number of quality tight ends in Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, the giants, Washington, all of these teams have capable, productive tight ends uh, for them. And so that's something that I'm curious to see if it it winds up affecting some of their early season matchups and what adjustments the Falcons may make. So that's something I'm keeping my eye on. We know that we spent, you know, basically the entirety of this decade, if not longer, being concerned about our ability to match up with tight ends. And that seemed to go away these last couple of years, thanks to the arrival of Keanu Neal. But one does wonder if we're sort of going to revert back to struggling against tight ends in the near future. Uh, So we'll see how that turns out. But uh, that's where we'll leave it, guys, on today's Locked on Falcons episode. And, of course, if you want to hit me up and provide your feedback on anything I talked about on today's episode, anything I've talked about on past episodes or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes, you can do so by hitting me up on Twitter at lockdown Falcons on Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. But before you come at me too strong, talking about, Hey, Aaron, why don't you stop trying to burst our bubbles? And, and why don't you get a better Will Ferrell impression on the podcast when you send me that email before you hit send on that maybe i can 
make it up for you guys by recommending the locked on bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert, Lee Sterling of Paramount sports. You know, you can get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite and Lee's lock of the day by subscribing to the locked on bets podcast presented by BetOnline.ag, and you can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, hopefully you'll get a little money in your pocket uh, before, and that will make up for that angry email that you're about to hit send on. So I appreciate you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next week. We'll have some guests on. We'll obviously be talking on Sunday about what happens in Saturday's preseason action against the Dolphins. So you'll get a rapid reaction on Sunday. And then of course you'll have uh, a Monday episode. We'll be back to our regular scheduled program, but we'll have some guests on next week to talk about what's whatever's going on with the Falcons at that point in time, season expectations as we, you know, as the preseason sort of comes to its end, we'll start to pivot towards the regular season. And of course I still have those NFC East episodes that I meant to drop this week, but unfortunately, you know, Dolphins and, and pass rushes and sacks distracted me far too much. And, and Calvin Ridley cooking corners uh, made me forget about posting those. So you will get those next week as well. So I appreciate it, guys. Till then.